Hey, this is Kevin Van Trump. I'm here with my good friend, Carter Williams, uh, another Farm Tank podcast with your outsourced ag CTO. And we're trying to bring people up to speed on the latest and greatest technology and what's taking place. And we've got a special guest on today, Cameron Norgate with Pattern Ag. And we're excited about all the things that uh, Pattern Ag has happening and has going on. And Carter and I are kind of going to wrap a little bit and Carter, what's happening with this? Uh, all we've been hearing about since the last podcast is uh, AI, AI, AI. What uh, What do you think, buddy? I happen? use it all the time. I have started to use uh, MidJourney. And uh, if you look on LinkedIn on some of my posts, I've gotten a little bit crazy uh, and use MidJourney to sometimes when we're writing things up, I sort of put it into a prompt in MidJourney and say, come up with a graphic. And it actually is comes up with a pretty cool graphic. That sort of captures the intent. So I, that that's pretty fascinating stuff. Midjourney is a thing you can run in Discord with all places. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have. Um, I've also been fiddling a little bit with AutoGPT, and I uh, there's a whole bunch of people who are real geeks can get out on um, GitHub, and there are a whole bunch of new technologies coming out. I think in our case, we're using it really as a copilot, yeah. making our lives easier. Eva who helps with this has been using it a lot to sort of just correct content. So I'm not terribly worried about the singularity or anything like that. I, it's just, I'm getting sucked into just using it to make a couple things easier and speed stuff up. You using, um, any, using any other platforms or? I fiddled. I've got something that sh keeps showing me all the new things. And uh, I also read medium a lot, which is sort of a newsreader thing. Damn articles about chat GPT, this or that. So I, I can't figure out whether I want to watch the news less or watch medium less, read medium less, because it's just it's the news is all about who's going to be the next president, which, you know, I don't want to hear any of that. <laughs> and, then, and then all I hear about is GPT and everywhere else. But I, I think that the the place where we're concentrating on it is and we're thinking about it is is uh how does it help you a little bit think through a problem? I heard that um, the CTO of Mineral, Mineral AI, which is the Google spin out focused on agriculture. Okay. Uh, what he said is they had, they had done a ML model on agriculture in the first year, it beat the agronomists, came up with better recommendations. And then the second year, the agronomists beat them. And when they quizzed the agronomists, what they found out is the agronomists were using their technology plus their own technology together. Ooh, good. And and outperforming the agronomist alone and the AI alone. Yeah. And so I think that's, I'd say that's where we're using it and where we're seeing the opportunity. Cameron, right. you personally using anything? You know, I play with the the chat GPT. I was interested to hear you mentioned the auto GPTs. I haven't spun any of those up to get the AI to do tasks and to align tasks, but have you been able to get that to actually work for something? Uh, reasonably well. I have been using it for like screen scraping a particular topic. We were fiddling with it for diligence to sort of mm -hmm. say, go get me all the people, all the names related to this company and, and come back and bring it to us. And it, it does an okay job on that. Um, mm -hmm. You got to download Python and GitHub and do all that and get back into programming mode a little bit. But um, for sure. My next project is to just create my own instance of GPT. We, we had done a project where we took the 4,000 companies we've looked at, we did this about a year ago and put it into GPT-3 about a year ago and then made it available on Slack so we could ask it questions. Um, oddly, the technology's moved so fast in the last six months, we haven't been able to keep up with it. Yeah, and that's, that's where I've heard the next layer of opportunity is in taking these large models and then customizing them with your own data sets uh, to really fine tune kind of the answers and output. But. What we've thought about doing is across our portfolio companies, doing that and creating a tool that 
that farmers could use or any any of the farm anybody at the farm gate could go and ask it questions and it would be trained on the 4000 companies i select as looked at our our portfolio companies and then make it easier for people at the farm gate to connect with our portfolio companies interesting kevin, kevin that's something i've been thinking about doing and i just we just haven't gotten around to it but i i, I know what we would need to do um but that's something we've thought about. So you think this AI is going to start clipping more jobs out of the uh, workplace, or? I, well, there will be jobs lost, but there will be a lot of jobs created. Yeah, I can see that. I think I think there could be some job losses early, and then as you start to go and pivot, you're going to see some more job creations. We were talking. Uh, I met with some lawyers uh, at one of the law firms yesterday. And, they said they've they've already done some reductions based on AI in staff. Yeah, and it's really it's running a hundred thousand miles an hour through law firms. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So that's all. Yeah, there's one I know that um, who knew, but the Philippines law is very much like U.S. law, and so if you pass the bar in the Philippines you're pretty close to being a US lawyer. And so what they're doing is a, uh, the partner meets with a client that's got a problem. He writes a few notes, sends it to the Philippines. Somebody in the Philippines gets in chat GPT at $7 an hour as a lawyer, comes up with the brief, passes it back and shows that the client the whole cycle is like three hours and costs 20 bucks and he charges the client 500. Yeah. Pretty good arm. Yeah, I would say <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, I, I'm hearing that more and more. So I think you know, and then the journalist side, and you know, I think there are going to be some industries that get hit early on. But like you said, I think it's going to create jobs on the back end in a different way. But it may take a while to get there. So, what about your daughter in architecture? I would think that that yeah, you know, they've just in they endured their fifth uh, fifth round of layoffs. At, at, like I said, one of the biggest firms in the United States. So you know. She, you know, still hang in there with them, but uh, I think I think it's interesting that you've seen that deep of layoffs come into big firms. They just had, they've had a ton of projects just come to dead stop standstills, and but that's like that's not because of AI. That's just no, that's just because you know the federal project, the government projects are still a go, of course, but <laughs> the the uh, private side has come to a screeching halt. So you know we're going to see. I, I thought it was interesting, Carter. <clears throat> I. I written the other day, uh, the group, I was part of the Hilton group or one of the groups that had given back $750 million hotels uh, and some properties out in San Francisco. And just the verbiage of, or I shouldn't say that it was an office and hotel, just the verbiage of how businesses today are, uh, just doesn't fit our business model. We're just going to go ahead and exit that and give it back to the lender. And I'm like, I was shocked in that language. I, I think I must have read the same article because I like, and I listened to it on a call where they actually said it, and I was like, "Wow, have that is that where we've got? Maybe it is." And what I what else shocked me was that it said so a bunch of paper commercial uh, real estate paper reset in uh, twenty one and twenty two, but seventy some to eighty percent of that was interest only loans. So it's like. They're all when they all come, all this 1.5 trillion that's getting ready to reset in the next 36 months. You know, I, I wonder how many are just going to walk away from some of these office buildings, some of these bigger places that uh, just aren't going to be bringing workers back. I, I think it's going to well, be. That sounds end. like a hidden contention liability that it's that easy to get out. That's what I'm saying. It's nuts, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, I mean, what do you do with a that's a big hotel? I, Cameron, you're yeah. down there. What, what, how many room hotels? Have? It's like, I have no idea, but it's huge. Yeah, it's, it's right. You know, of course, it's right in the epicenter of what is the downtown chaos that that the city has let unfold there. So, you know, in, in some sense, they're kind of having to sleep in the bed that they they made um, in San Francisco. Oh, I, I, I'm with you. I I agree. See, I yeah. haven't been out to Seattle in a while either. Seattle or Portland, I heard they're just kind of a mess as well up in that area. So, yeah, it's important. Yeah, it was conventions or is just also business traffic is down it's tourism it, yeah. this is like this is no one wants to go into that downtown area right and, no. and so 
people are no longer going down there to work. And so the, the chaos is kind of, you know, spread out. And, uh, and as a result, it's just not a place that people really want to spend time. That's too bad. Um, uh, one other economic thing that sort of came up that relates a little bit more to ag is JPM spending. And I'll, I'm going to take a little bit different sh- uh, path on this. So JPM just spent $200 million on this, uh, um, device that sucks air out and creates sucks the carbon out of air hmm. now when you really look at the energy balance on the thing it, it really doesn't work I mean, it doesn't make sense it's like okay we're going to produce this carbon emission and then we're going to spend a bunch of energy taking it back out i mean it's just sort of like basic physics there is a little out of balance but here's the thing that's interesting so they spent 200 million to get the credits on something that's not that verified. There's another large software company that's spending 40 million on biochar. Like biochar, we've thought about biochar for soil amendments. And there, there are some interesting cases about what biochar can do, but it's not proven yet. And, and we think it might be proven and there's some evidence it will work. And we'll, we'll find out after Canada's finished burning through the wilderness up there, whether <laughs> the biochar helps them. But the, but the the nature of how that improves the soil and and such, what we might start seeing with some of this carbon stuff is independent of whether it's verifiable. Is we, we we might start using some of that money to prove out new agronomy techniques. If if somebody like JPM is willing to spend two hundred million dollars on something that's pretty speculative, I've sort of been wondering from a venture world is whether we can get them to underwrite some of the things we're trying to do for farmers to, you know, people are saying, Hey, I should do regenerative or I should do these things and we should fiddle around with price. I'm sort of wondering whether we can get those people at one level, they're walking away from buildings in San Francisco. On the other level, they're spending $200 million to invest in a device to take carbon out of the air that really doesn't work. So I don't, I don't know what to do with all that. Did you catch like what their cost was per ton? With this, I'm assuming I, direct air capture. I did not. I did not. I was uncomfortable with the discussion because they were. They had a few points. They produce these pelletized CO2 that can be used elsewhere. So part of that calculation would include that offtake. Hmm. But but that offtake is probably going to go away if they ever produce it. But to completely just get zero to just to have net zero globally. It would take forty percent of the current U.S. Uh, the current generation of power in the world to achieve that, which is ludicrous. Um, and you know, taking a herd of cattle and running them around in grasslands more effectively on a rotational basis, and throwing some biochar in probably creates more permanence than than that. But I don't know the answer to your question. There, there, the the pricing on this stuff or the willingness. We're seeing big players willing to put money into this. And there may be a way for farmers to monetize that to, yeah. to upgrade, it, whether it's verifiable or not. I'm not trying to like blow off the verifiable thing. But if if people are concerned about it and want to invest in it, if we can do risk reduction on technology, that's a plus also. Yeah, well, I think you're right in that there needs to be a benefit above and beyond just getting some clipping some credit coupon. There has to be a benefit to the land and to the farmer that goes beyond whatever that market is, because that market is unpredictable and whatnot. And so I think if we can see things that are actually driving real improvements to the bottom line for the farmer in other ways, or just fundamentally improving, you know, their their biggest asset, their soil and their their lands, then that's a big win. An anchor trader is still, I was talking to the other carter recently, and they they still are moving hundred thousand miles an hour. Kevin, I don't know if you've you buying any land in Acre Trader? No, I do not. But we've got a, our other Canadian friend. We'll leave his name out. Our other Canadian friend has been thinking about buying a bunch of land on Acre Trader. So they're, you know. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I mean, they, they've become very diversified, too, as you know, as far as some of their holdings in Australia uh, on the West Coast and the nuts with the nuts and some of the other plays at the nut, uh, different farms and different varieties of, of crops. So yeah, I, I definitely like what they're doing there for, for certain. And yeah, I'm actively a part of uh, trying to help them grow that. So. so Cameron, what does pattern ag do? Well, at the core, we analyze uh, farm soil 
to measure the biology of that soil and then predict what's going to happen in the next crop season, in particular around the pest and pathogen pressure that a, a farmer is going to face. Uh, and we use that information then to really power uh, seed and crop protection decisions. Um, and so, you know, the, the best way to think about it is that, you know, you wouldn't create a fertility plan without measuring the nutrients in your soil. Uh, and in the same way we think of it as, you know, in the future, it's going to be hard to imagine creating a seed and crop protection plan without knowing which pests and disease you face in that next crop season. And that's fundamentally uh, what we're able to do here at Pattern is measure the biology of that field of what's actually living in, in that soil environment that you're going to plant into and predict what risks and issues you're going to face in the next season so you can make sure you're, you're protected. And who are your typical customers right now that you're serving? Yeah. So we, we focus on Midwest corn and soybean farmers. So row crops in the Midwest is our, our primary uh, market today. Yeah. Is that, oh, go ahead, Cameron. No, I was going to say, when we first spoke uh, in the past, there was talk uh, leading to the fact that you guys would probably be one of the leaders in the AI side of the agronomy. Is that still sticky? Is that uh, something you guys see? So, you know, AI in this context is a, it's a tricky word to kind of wrap your head around, you know, fundamentally the analysis we provide, we think of that as, as a core building block to understanding what's happening in that field and predicting what's going to happen. And then based on that, you know, ultimately you're trying to create a plan, right? So a farmer is trying to, to make, you know, a few key decisions for what they're going to do in the next crop season. The analytics that we can provide we believe are, are a unique and highly valuable way to make the best plan to maximize your yield and to optimize where you're spending on your inputs. Uh, and we think that that, you know, kind of as you were alluding to earlier in the conversation, um, that will be a mixture of both what you think of as, as models or AI to understand all of this data and what it's telling you, uh, mixed with human uh, interaction and knowledge and intuition to take that and actually, you know, turn it into an applied plan in the field that actually works. Um, and so that's kind of how, how we see uh, the future of this space evolving, certainly, is that that hybrid approach. Um, but we fundamentally want to be powering um, a lot of that decision making through the data we can bring and the insights that we can generate on top of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So is it, is it fair to sort of characterize it in this, uh, you've got a deeper statistical model that says, these kind of things cause these kind of problems with these kind of probabilities. And so that's a teeny bit machine learning. And, you know, I always interpret machine learning as a, another way to state statistical analysis. But um, so that type of with with a better decision engine, that's a little easier for somebody other than a statistician to dig into it. So that like an agronomist, right. a producer could look at that. And so it maybe more fair and recent context to call it machine learning and and quant. That's right. And it's, you know, that's a broad category of different methods to take what is a lot of data and turn it into really a useful insight that you can take action on. And that's fundamentally what we're trying to do is, you know, take all this data that we capture, but boil it down to, hey, for these three or four decisions that are going to make or break your next season, Here's what we think you should do and why, and here's the data kind of supporting why that's a good decision. Um, we have really focused a pattern on tying the measures we take from a field to the agronomic impact um, that you're going to see in that field. So really tying, making that connection between, hey, we've detected this pest or we detect this pathogen in the field. And we think actually, you know, if you're not protected in a certain way, you're at risk of 10, 15, 20% of yield loss. Uh, and we've done a lot of field trials to validate that and and we think of that as fundamentally one of the, the big investments we've made to, to really both make it highly useful for the farmers we work with and to separate us from you know, other folks that, that might be playing in this space. And so what's your, who's your customer, the agronomist or the farmer? Yep. So we, we actually work through uh, what we call a dealer agent network. Um, and those are typically uh, agronomists, seed dealers, or retailers. Uh, and they are delivering and selling our service alongside the other uh, products they're bringing to their customers uh, and, and packaging that together. And so they really see it as, 
an additional tool to help them place their products more effectively. Um, and that's why they they get excited about bringing us on board as part of their offering. But you're right. So we we typically go through these agents to the, the farm customer through them. And if I'm the farm customer, am I ever seeing you or am I seeing you as a logo on a report that the agronomist is using or what's that? Yeah, you might see. So we have a big footprint in the, the Midwest in the field um, with sales and support uh, reps to help our agents and help the farmers get the maximum value from the reports and the analysis. Uh, you may see them as part of your experience, uh, but it may just be, you know, the farmer working with with the uh, the dealer. You know, our best dealers have been doing this for years now, are very familiar with the technology and analysis and what it means um, and can really, uh, uh, you know, walk on their own two feet. So that's a big what, what type of size farm or operation would you typically be used and what what kind of benefits am I getting? Yeah, I think of this as, you know, the, I'd say the professional farmer. Uh, so that could be, you know, there's the low end of that where I don't know, 500, 1000 acres and above, maybe um, up to, you know, your big, your big acre farms, there's no reason they couldn't get value because fundamentally, you know, we are creating value on the kind of per acre level, right? So there's no real, there's no real reason that a small farmer wouldn't get as much value as a large farmer. And to kind of double click a bit deeper there, you know, when you think about the ways we create value, I kind of mentioned at the beginning, but we think of it in two two key key buckets. And the first one is we help you to maximize or boost your yield. And we do that by surfacing issues you may have that have been dragging down yield or impacting your yield potential um, without you knowing it or no, without you knowing about that going to the next season. So this is a situation where, you know, we can come in and show that, hey, maybe you have a an SDS infection in a certain field, sudden death syndrome of soybeans that you didn't know about. Um, and in fact, that's been clipping five or 10% of your yield without you even knowing it um, every year. And we can come in and then recommend some you know, remediation or other, other actions you can take um, to avoid that issue and you can boost your yield. So that's kind of the probably the, the predominant use case is really surfacing things that folks didn't know they were you know, up against um, or facing um, and helping them protect against those issues. You know, the other side of the coin as well is, is we can help you to optimize where you're spending. Um, so there are cases where uh, you know, maybe farmers are spending on an input that they don't need in a particular field, uh, or you know, they know they wanna spend up, but they wanna make sure they just spend it on the fields that really need it. A really good example of this um, is with uh, a farmer we work with kind of a north, northeast Iowa. Um, so this is corn on corn country, every corn rootworm territory. And, you know, they're planting, uh, uh, you know, fully a double pyramid stack of traits uh, into all of their fields. And they, they know they're going to do that. So that's very good protection to begin with. Um, but they also want to put insecticide down, uh, you know, where they think they have high pressure. And so they use our test to figure out, you know, which fields do they actually have really elevated pressure and they'll use that to cherry pick where they're going to apply that additional insecticide alongside the traits. Uh, and so they're not putting it across their whole 4,000 acre farm, but really can choose just the fields where it's really gonna, gonna pay. And uh, where are you having the most success? I mean, what's like a really, or can you even say which operation, which, uh, distributors are using you most aggressively or yeah i would say um, agronomists and seed dealers tend to to see the immediate value and benefit so we see a lot of traction with that group the seed dealers in particular uh, because their life is about you know getting the right seed on the right right acre and they've got the yield potential in that seed but if they run into an issue they didn't anticipate or didn't know about uh, you know, they might not yield the way they thought they could. And who does the farmer blame in that situation? Well, they look at the seed dealer and say, your seed didn't yield, yeah. right? So they're very interested in making sure they understand, hey, what's this field that we're planting into? What are the risks we face and how do we make sure we've got it protected? And that's, uh, I think, where we see a lot of interest and in, in traction, if that makes sense. And so it's still timely for them to reach out to you in this season? Oh, absolutely. Now now is the, the right time. Well, I should say, Sampling is mostly done for this crop season, uh, but the right time is now already thinking to the 24 crop season um, because we typically will will sample fields in the fall alongside what you would think of as a, a kind of fall. You know, when folks go out to sample for nutrients, that's when we're out there as well 
um, running a very similar protocol uh, to sample for, for our biological measures. And I should say we also can do nutrient analysis alongside the, the biology that we measure in that soil. So it's, you know, we, we fundamentally think of ourselves as understanding the entire soil environment. Uh, but, you know, what makes us unique is our, our deep understanding of the pests, pathogens, and other biological uh, risks and opportunities that you have. Yeah. Are you just mostly corn and bean centric or are you getting more into specialty crops, you're doing cotton, rice, anything out West uh, with vegetables and things of that nature? Or mostly? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. We are exclusively corn and beans today. Uh, we have notional, a notional plan to expand that in the future, uh, but there will not be any material expansion, at least full commercial, even for this fall. And that is I think a testament just to the focus we've had, you know, there's 180 million acres of, of corn and soybeans in the U.S. And that's a lot of territory for us to focus on already. And you know, when you think about what we're doing with this technology, as I mentioned before, it's not just measuring the biology, but it's understanding how does that tie to the, the agronomy for that crop. And so we've really invested deeply in understanding these two particular crop systems and the pathogens that affect them most and you know where the thresholds are that that really require someone to take action and so that's the the focus that we've had i think you'll see over the coming years we will expand probably next into some of the next logical row crops you mentioned cotton um, being one of them i think that is certainly on the list and you know my longer term vision of this is that there's, there's no reason we don't do this sort of analysis on um you know almost every type of uh, a crop out there uh, and so that would certainly at some point involve specialties um, and figuring out the whole West Coast and, and uh, you know, further geographies abroad. Um, but we're really taking a kind of crawl, walk, run approach there and, and not diving into it until we're ready to make the, the proper investments into those different crop systems. Are you doing any type of carbon? You know, you looking at carbon at all or doing any type? Great question. Um, you know, it's certainly a topic of conversation for us. We do not offer any carbon measurement analysis today. It may be something uh, we incorporate in the future. You know, the the angle that I think about with carbon in particular is is perhaps less on the measurement because that that could be something we do um, in the future, but really on the actual sequestration. So, if you wanted to understand, you know, how are we how are we getting more carbon to uh, get locked up in those soils and to stay locked up? Um, you know, that permanence question. Uh, that is is kind of like the crux of, of the the opportunity here in ag and in our understanding of field biology and, and knowing exactly what's growing in that field and what could grow effectively be able to help uh, provide insight into what a farmer might do to sequester more over time. So you know those are all uh, kind of future plans. I wouldn't say we have anything uh, directly actionable there, but that's certainly something we think about. Um, given that carbon is deeply tied to the biology of that field. Good. And you, so you got, you weren't always in the, in the agriculture. I mean, I think well, I wasn't, I wasn't born on a farm as, as we talked about, I, I grew up in uh, Toronto, went to school in Southwest Ontario, which is kind of like Canadian corn country, but I did not study ag even in, uh, in college. Once I, you know, once I made my way down to the States, though, I found myself at a company um, called Climate Corporation, which got acquired by Monsanto back in 2012 or 13 thereabouts. Um, and eventually that became part of what is now Bayer Crop Sciences, their whole digital arm. And that was my um, entry into the ag space well over a decade ago. And I've been working on uh, various parts of digital agriculture and other supporting technologies to try and understand and advance, you know, our ability to predict and plan um, more effectively. And that's really fundamentally what we're doing here at Pattern as well is kind of continuing on that that same thread um, of really trying to to help the farmer customers we work with um, to form the best plan for the next crop season um, based on the, the available data we can bring to bear. So what sort of brought you, I mean, you're one of the founders of Pattern Ag? That's right. Yep. So you and certainly the there are a lot of great alumni out of Climate Corp. Climate Corp was a billion dollar exit to Monsanto. And uh, so we've got we've we I select has invested in you. We've invested in Arable. And I think we've probably got two or three other companies we've invested in that have Climate Corp. Mm -hmm. um, so you 
I think you came out of the payments business and then came into Climate Corp. That was a big shift. Yeah, well, I I came down to the U.S. in uh, in an investing role, um, buying and selling technology companies. And when I got to the West Coast, this was about circa 2009 or so, I kind of got a sense for just the wave of energy behind uh, all the technology changes and decided I actually wanted to go instead of just investing in them, want to actually go build them. And so jumped into uh, a more operating role, um, a product role of, of designing and building um, various technologies. And after a few years of doing that, was able to uh, you know find my way to the Climate Corp, which at the time was um, doing some interesting stuff in agricultural insurance um, and had started to pivot into uh, also kind of just overall uh, uh, agronomic insights. And so kind of got... Uh, brought in on the insurance side of things, and then over time migrated into the the agronomy side of things, and uh, I've been doing that for the better part of the last decade. So how sense. did you how did you learn about agriculture? Um, just trial by fire, you know. So I had uh, enough enough technology knowledge and interest in and uh, knowledge of finance and insurance um, to be useful uh, to Climate Corp at the time when I joined it, and then. Um, as we got deeper and deeper into ag and in particular moving into the agronomy side of things have, you know, effectively kind of learned uh, over the years uh, uh, organically, uh, effectively. So um, no formal uh, background or education, but I think, you know, the the better part of a decade of trying to figure out uh, how the technologies that are emerging can be used and applied uh, to some of the, the most important problems for, for farmers is, is uh, more than enough in that regard. And so we, we often think about when we're making our investments is how to make farmers more profitable. If we can make farmers more profitable, they're more likely to adopt. And we, we try to think about technologies that, that will show up on the bottom line. Yeah. As you think about your technology background that came into this market and such, you know, what is your like, what's your superpower, your superpower in the world is sort of this evolution of agribusiness to be yet more competitive. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, in some sense, what is unique is the, the view that I have both into the world of uh, row crop agriculture and the world of emerging technologies and capabilities. And that's kind of the intersection of pattern as well, right? You know, what we're doing here at pattern to understand the biology, biology of the field requires bringing in a whole bunch of technologies um, around genomics and other ways of assessing and understanding biology that, you know, is is something that's frankly just outside of the, the view of kind of core agricultural um, practices. And so in part by being, you know, where I am over here on the West Coast, um, we have a lot of access to folks with that deep knowledge base and can leverage their capabilities for the problems that we are aware of and know that we think we can solve really well um, for the Midwest uh, farmer. So that's kind of an interesting, I see myself kind of living at the intersection of those two things, um, which is a, a deep understanding of, you know, what the, the challenges are that the, the row crop farmer is facing, uh, while also understanding what are these emerging technologies that we could really use um, to apply in a meaningful way to drive the bottom line. And that is, I think, the as you highlighted, the most uh, critical thing to building a successful business here is helping the farmer customer to, to achieve one of their outcomes. Um, and the key question is, you know, what are the, the emerging technologies that can help us do that best? Are you, are you in agreement that we've heard lots of people say it, that there's been, you know, billions and billions invested in technology to improve what happens above the ground on the, in the, in the field. And we're just at the beginning of understanding really what happens beneath the soil and, I suspect patterns trying to are going to position themselves to be a leader in that space moving forward on understanding and applying the technological advancements that come for below soil uh, or understanding what's happening down there. So, hundred percent. I mean yeah. that that in a nutshell is you know why we started Pattern. It was okay. the observation that you know we as a collectively as as an industry and society we've invested billions in great seed genetics. We invested billions in chemistries, uh, you know, fertility products, but we we almost, in some sense, know very very little more than our our parents or grandparents knew 
about that soil environment. You know, maybe 50, 60 years ago, we really had kind of the, the nutrient fertility revolution where we started to actually measure uh, the nutrient levels in our soils and assess, okay, well, what does that mean from a fertility perspective? What do I need to do to, to make sure I'm not losing yield potential and I'm maximizing um, the potential of my crop in that regard? Um, but beyond that, we, you know, the science hasn't changed for 50 or 60 years, um, yet the, the act of growing a plant uh, in a soil environment is fundamentally a biological uh, re relationship um, with that plant and the microbes in that soil and the environment that, that feeds and, and supports that, that crop to deliver a great outcome. And we really don't know much more than we did 50 years ago in that regard. And so we fundamentally think of Pattern as being the company to unlock that layer um, and the potential um, for us to both understand and leverage that to really drive farm outcomes going forward. And we see it really as, as probably the, the next big um, kind of wave of, of yield, yield gains and potential um, for farming. We're very excited about that. I think so too. I think that, you know, like you said, I think there's just been so much spent on seed and uh, chemicals and equipment. I mean, look what's happened to equipment over the last, you know, 50 years. And, you know, I, I really, I really do believe you guys are in, in, the, in the right spot, going the right direction. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah. And I think increasingly, oh, sorry, Carl, I was just going to say no, last, last thought there, increasingly you're going to see um, the input companies recognizing that dynamic as well, which is, you know, they've spent all of this money on developing their input, but they have no control and no idea as to which field that that thing gets placed in and right. whether it's going to perform well in that particular environment. And, and they should have an incentive because fundamentally what they're trying to sell to the farmer is a yield outcome, right? And they want that farmer to use that product and get a great outcome and be super happy and come back the next year and use it again. Um, if they need it. And so I think we're going to see continued interest just in understanding, hey, that field is is as critical to the outcomes you get as anything else that, that you deal with. And, and we yeah, are, you, with that. are you guys working with anyone like uh, Benson Hill or someone in conjunction to, you know, you guys, um, the analysis in the soil, they develop the seed that's right for your script. I mean, I could see that match coming down the future at some point or it sounds yeah that sounds um sounds right up our wheelhouse uh you know we we have a number of conversations ongoing with various uh players in the industry at any given time i, I would say nothing concrete um yeah. in that particular regard just yet but i'd love to see exactly that which is you know leveraging our technology to help uh both develop better seed and place better seed uh, or place seed more effectively in some sense oh interesting and and how do you you know okay Soil's going to matter. You've got an offering now that moves the ball forward. How do you decide what to do next in the soil? I mean, what's the, are you, how do you decide what to do next? Well, so we've got a long runway of continuing to advance and expand the things we can tell you about your field. Um, so there's, there's a whole bunch of other things, you know, we're continuing to work on from an R&D perspective to, uh, you know, for example, we don't cover uh, uh, weeds today, but we absolutely can measure, you know, a weed bank pressure in a field. Um, and we believe we'll be able to measure even uh, whether you have a certain type of resistance to, you know, a certain class of herbicides um, based on the weed pressure that we see. So that's just one example of other things we're thinking about. You know, we're, we're collecting this physical material from the field. Um, and able to analyze and understand a whole bunch about it. And we just scratched the surface um, from what we're doing with uh, crop protection pathogens and, and uh, pests. So I think there's a lot more that we could do there. We also believe fundamentally that we can help with uh, what we think of as biofertility. Um, so, you know, historically we've thought of fertility as, well, how much NPK does your soil hold, to, hold today? And do you have enough in the gas tank? Um, but what I think the industry is beginning to realize is that that's a much more complex interaction of, you know, what's in the soil, what biological uh, material and organisms are living there to help make that material more available um, or to fix more uh, uh, nutrients that, to be made available to that plant. So understanding that layer of things as well. So that's one way of saying, hey, there's a whole bunch of other analytics that we continue to work on or are very interested in that we think can create a, a ton of value um, for the farmers that we work with. Um, but then, you know, on the longer term, I think fundamentally, we really just want to help our farmers to not only understand that, but then take action and influence um, their environment. So 
whether it's uh, uh, you know products that we partner with or or uh, you know find out in the market or even potentially develop ourselves, we'd love to find ways to you know fundamentally improve the soil profile um, for our customers to you know make it more disease re- resistant or resilient um, and have a better fertility profile. So so we've we've got you, we've got some of the biologic input guys saying put our stuff on, it's good. Got arable, earth optics, Centera. It's getting. How do we? How does the producer or the agronomist start to figure out? It's like God. I got all these options. I'm getting a little confused, and I a little confused about the cost benefit. I mean, how do we? How do you think it's going to come together, or how do you think it's going to simplify, or yeah? worse before it gets better or what what are you what's your sense of that so i think at the core um we will the industry will need one or potentially a few systems that act really as kind of you know this i don't know if it's machine learning or ai type brain that takes a lot of all this information and is able to bring it together and summarize that to just the key insights um, that you need on a field or across an operation. So I think there's a huge opportunity there. And I think, you know, fundamentally, if I, if we look at, you know, even what some of the, the majors are doing, um, so I'll use climate field view as an example, um, a lot of what they're doing is, is kind of looking in the rearview mirror and saying, hey, what happened last season? Or let's track what was done and keep good records. No one has really cracked that opportunity of, of really saying, hey, what's the plan for next season? And what, why, how do we have confidence that this is the right plan that's going to maximize the ROI um, for this operation in this field? Um, and, you know, candidly, I think uh, we have an opportunity to become that platform over time. You know, there's, there's a lot of wood to chop for us to get there. Um, I think a lot of other ag tech players are probably, you know, circling around that same, same set of problems. And it's not entirely clear, you know, which, which company is best positioned to, to kind of really bring all of those pieces together and serve it up. But I think um, we're probably all thinking of it in some regard. And, and certainly I, I think of, you know, the ultimate problem we're trying to solve um, for the farmer is, hey, what are those key decisions I'm making for the next season? Right. Those, you know, whether it's what seed am I planting? How am I protecting that seed? And how am I fertilizing and feeding that soil to feed that plant and make sure I get maximum yield? Um, and those three kind of key categories, um, we, we really want to be the tool to help drive that planning process and arrive at a great plan for the next season that, you know, the farmer and their advisors can be, be excited about. So the most sensible customer for you in terms of, hey, this is interesting, I want to do something is, is really agronomist or a seed retailer. That's right. Yeah, I would say retail is in that bucket as well. Um, you know, we do work with, with retail today, um, and the ones who are interested in really driving the thinking for their farmers and helping to arrive at, at really an optimal plan, uh, are really getting some great value there too. Good. You got any secret sauce or any menu item that, uh, everybody seems to like, that's the one they really, that's really working or gravitate towards or. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the two, two heavy hitters, you know, on the corn side is our corn rootworm product. Um, so that's obviously, you know, if you're in any corn on corn territory, that's top of mind um, for you every year. Uh, and knowing what your pressure is can be critical to, to getting your inputs right. Uh, you know, from a trait technology perspective to uh, seed applied treatments or info insecticides, you want to know what, what your pressure is. And the interesting thing with corn rootworm, you know, is that uh, even if you're in a corn on corn region, you may not have, you know, really what we consider uh, a real material pressure um, going into the next season. So, uh, you know, just because you're in a certain area doesn't mean that you're actually at risk for all of these things. And so the only way to really know is actually to, to, to pull some material from that field and actually test it and run it and, uh, and see what, what you're up against. Um, so on the corn side, that's a, a really big one. I think, uh, you know, if we think about flip over to soybeans, the combination of sudden death syndrome and SCN uh, is what we think of as kind of the, the, um, the silent, I call it kind of the silent yield robber. All right. And this is, I kind of alluded to this before, but you can be losing five or 10% of yield on soybeans and not even see any above ground symptoms with that 
complex of disease. So you've got the soybean cyst nematode, which is kind of feeding on the roots and creating, you know, little, little openings for disease to get in. And if you have sudden death in that field, then the sudden death gets into that root structure and moves up through the plant. Um, and that's where, you know, you can be losing that yield and not even know it. We have many farmers who, after we highlighted these issues for them in their field, you know, they took some actions in the next season, you know, whether it's applying a different seed treatment, a premium seed treatment to protect, um, and they would do some split trials in these fields and the part of the field they didn't protect, you know, it would dry down two weeks, three weeks sooner. Um, and they'd have, you know, call it like a five or 10 bushel yield difference, um, on their soybeans. And that's from something they had never even, you know, even thought of. They didn't think they had this issue. They had no above ground symptoms. And so that's like, it's a really, really interesting and compelling example where, you know, very quickly you could find, you know, 50 or hundred dollars, um, in additional yield. Uh, if you you unearth uh -huh. that issue, that's good. That's 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 very interesting for sure. So, Carter, so, we're getting towards the end. We want to circle the wagons a little bit, or so maybe what? I said, should we circle the wagons a little? <laughs> yeah, I'll circle the wagons. What are we gonna circle the wagons on? Yeah, I hear you. No, just you know where we're headed, where things are going, what's uh, happening in the space. Our pattern. You guys gonna be out at any uh, these summer trade shows or? You, guys you know, can... we are, we have a big presence across um, the, the Midwest, all across the corn, uh, corn and soybean states. Uh, we will be at a lot of the local ones. Um, I'd have to, you know, speak with my team to know exactly uh, which ones those will be, but look for us. Um, we'll likely be there. And how do they find you guys on the web? Pattern? Yeah, pattern.ag. So www.pattern.ag. Um, find us there. You can find us on the socials as well. Um, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, for sure. Carter, what do you guys got new in the hopper? Anything this summer? Just looking for new companies all the time. Uh, yeah. We're also putting together a larger fund. We've had a lot of institutionals start in addition to what we're trying to do with the rolling fund. We've had some interest on uh, from institutionals who are trying to think through how to bring more capital here. Uh, there's just more and more conversation about how do we get agriculture, the food companies, and healthcare more aligned. And so we'd see next generation opportunities there. You know, we're venture investors, so we're thinking about what's happening next. Um, you know, what's what's coming after Pattern Ag, and that's a, where our focus is. So, um, we you guys invested you invested in pattern egg how long ago was it carter it was i can't remember now it was maybe a while a, back yeah. i remember it was quite a while back. yeah two years ago maybe or and the reason i say that just as an example that would be a company that people would be able to invest in uh you know it would have been two years ago you know you could have been uh, ahead of the curve a little bit have that uh technology uh, through the farm gate and that's what we're trying to do Cameron, yeah. we're trying to get farmers to invest in our rolling fund where they can be early investors in companies like yours, but also be early at trying out the technology on their own farms and, you know, listening to some of the calls and and, and just being more well-versed on what you guys have going on. So we think it's a win-win for everyone. Absolutely. So we, you know, this is an ever evolving thing. There are a lot of things there. There are many technologies, organics and Benson Hill and you that are now in the market. But we invested some time ago, and and so now with this rolling fund that we have available for farmers, is they can invest in what will be the next generation of technologies. Um, and we're seeing more and more soil health amendments. Uh, we are seeing a lot more interest in specialized versions of uh, corn and soy, and so those kind of markets are are moving forward nicely. But yeah, I saw Bear got approved for that uh, short corn. <laughs> Have you seen that, Cameron? The corn that's a lot shorter and um, I think 30 to 40% shorter in height. So it's more wind tolerant, but uh, same size leaves, same size. Uh, you know, That's corn. right. And I think they can get in for a later season nitrogen pass as well. Is that part of the? the yeah, I there? yeah, I'd heard something like that. Yeah. So, there, yeah, there's a lot of. That's, that's pretty exciting. That's yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. Some big things happening. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, okay. Carter, yeah, I don't have much else. Uh, well, you guys traveling any this summer? Or going on big trips? I am not going on big trips. 
No. I'm, I uh, I have not gotten on the water yet. Have you gotten any of that uh, fire problems? I was going to go look outside. I was just looking on the on the web, and apparently, so we're in northern Michigan. It's about an hour north of Traverse City, and so we. The map shows a slightly yellow area, but I've got to go look outside. I haven't, I've been inside most of the day today, but New York, yeah, New York, that looks pretty ominous, but, but forest fires are a natural act. I mean, they're forest fires. Was that that in your area, Cameron, where you grew up? Toronto. So we probably would have been the one setting the forest fires down to New York. um, So we might've dodged that bullet. I'll tell you, the West Coast got crushed, uh, you know, two or three years ago. Um, we had those same orange skies for a couple of weeks, uh, which is which is no fun. But you're absolutely right; it's part of the part of the program with having forests. You know, and it, it maybe comes comes back to a lot of forestry management as well. And maybe we haven't made the best decisions in, in that regard. But. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. We've but not many people know this, but uh, locusts. You know, locusts have a a positive evolutionary benefit. They tend to eat dry grass, which is under nutrient, and then they they poop out MBK and like reinvigorate things. So you know somebody figured this out over the last four and a half billion years. Yeah. That's right. I hear so you. In every disaster, there's a little bit of benefit in that, and so all those Canadian forests are maybe going to produce more nutrients as a result. We shall see. That'll be good. Well, perfect. I think we'll wrap it up. And hey, thanks, thanks for Cameron. Yeah, I hope everybody checks out Pattern Ag. I think like we're all hoping we're going to see some big things come down the pipe and should be good. So absolutely. Yeah, and if any customers love it, they're out there when they see this video, share it out to other people. That's like the hardest thing in innovation is not inventing. It is helping people understand the technology and getting it adopted. So Hundred percent. Adopters are a blessing. The the best investors in new technology are customers when they buy products. That's right. Well, we're trying to shed it from the rooftops because we've been we've been working on the tech for four years now, and we we're really excited about where we're at and what it can do. So, perfect to hear, hear from uh, many of your your listeners. Yeah, hope you spread the word, buddy. So, thank you again. Have a good appreciate day. it. Thanks, hey guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.